I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Mary Lawless Lee is a mother, writer, entrepreneur, and digital media personality dedicated to living creatively, chasing curiosity, and exploring the world through the lens of fashion, family, travel, and design. What began in 2012 as a compliment to her busy job as an ICU nurse quickly became a career of its own. Happily Gray, her now iconic fashion and lifestyle blog, amassed a following of over 2 million and serves as a loving space for readers to connect with Mary's stories and their own. She also runs the Happily Gray Boutique and Nima, a self-care and skincare line for mothers. Mary's first published book, Happily Gray, is a collection of stories, souvenirs, and everyday wonders from the life in between. Please welcome to the show, Mary Lawless Lee. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so, so excited and thankful to be here today with your community. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and to share your story and your healing journey with us. It's, uh, you know, not something that I take lightly. So I appreciate your energy and everything you're about to share. And I know that the audience is going to have a lot of great takeaways from hearing parts of your story. So I recommend that they get a notepad and a pen. <laughs> I love to start the show at the very beginning, and I want to also, you know, touch on some points within your book because, you know, I believe that our, our childhood shapes a lot of who we become and who we are today. So before we get to where you are presently, I would love to know what kind of teenager were you and what were your aspirations? You know, I love this question because you're right. So much of what we know we learn as, as children and kids, you know, it, we take that into, it affects us and it influences us as adults. And so my story starts in Texas in a very small town. And, you know, from a very early age, I I was very aware of, of kind of my surroundings. And I, you know, from a very early age, I, I put this like expectation on myself 
of what I thought I should be and how I thought it should look. I grew up in a small town. I lived, you know, out in the kind of the middle of nowhere, which was beautiful, kind of like this not land of Narnia. And I just, there's so, you know, there's so much I value of my upbringing that has influenced me heavily today. And there's a lot of, a lot of it that I've learned from and evolved past and has, has served me really well in kind of that perspective evolution type of way as well. Mm-hmm. But I, um, my life really changed a lot when I went to school at UT Austin. I made kind of a big jump from a small town going to UT Austin in in Austin, Texas, and just really seeing different walks of life, seeing different perspectives Mm -hmm. and understanding that life isn't so black and white. And there's a lot of this gray space that felt really creative to me. And um, it felt like the unknown and it just felt like a, a sense of freedom of knowing I didn't have to be this or that. I didn't have to be, um, you know, I didn't have to do everything by, by my list that I had created in my mind at the age of like seven. And, you know, that's when my, my world really opened up and I started kind of looking past of just what that plan was and started really like trusting, you know, being present and, 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 and really, you know, living in, living in the moment and embracing that gray space, that curiosity, that the bliss of the uncertainty and, and realizing it's okay to, to, to not know. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. And that's really the message behind my book, Happily Gray. It's that discovery of the unknown and the curiosity and the bliss of the uncertainty. It's, it's the realizing that it does not all have to fit into the, the perfect box that we kind of sometimes present in our, in, to ourselves in our mind. Yeah, like in the beginning of your book, um, you wrote in the gray areas, I found relief. Unpack that for us. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, I think I found a lot of freedom. I think I found a lot of freedom because it, it, you know, at an early age, I, you know, I, I just I set this this outlook of exactly what my life would look like. And I think as I was going through those steps of, you know, uncovering that. I realized, you know, that it just felt so constricting. And when I did step into that gray space, there was a lot of freedom in in that and a lot of um, acceptance. And I felt like I could actually, you know, take a deep breath and be myself. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you you know, I really leaned into creativity and, and just, and then just a new discovery, a new discovery. And with that came a lot of learning how to trust myself and learning how to you just really get to know myself, connecting with that inner child, you know, that I once knew before I started this master plan. Like, you know, before, you know, I think we all can go back and kind of connect with like, where was, where were we in life? Like, was it, what were you five? Were you six? Were you 10? What does that inner child look like? And really getting back to that and connecting back with her. And that's a lot of my work has been in that. And that's a, a lot of this journey is of, of discovering that that happy gray space is through that inner child work. Mm-hmm. So tell us, yeah, I guess the Coles Notes version of how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So my story, like I said, it starts it's a very small town. I'm very appreciative and 
um, there's nothing I would ever change about my upbringing and the perspective that, that, that I've gained kind of as I entered the world and my world really got a lot bigger. But I went to school at UT Austin and I, I always knew I wanted to take care of people without a doubt. There was, as a little girl, I loved it. I loved babies. I loved playing like I was the caretaker. And so I went into nursing and I studied critical care. Um, and I worked in critical care, um, a cardiovascular ICU for seven years. And I absolutely loved it. Um, it was, it just fulfilled me in a way that nothing else has ever fulfilled me. It, you know, in, in critical care, you, you sit in this gray space between life or death. There's this, um, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful, beautiful moment of, of getting to know the human spirit and the human body. And I developed such deep grit and deep gratitude for this work. And there's a lot of what I learned as a nurse has really, I've really taken with me and now to this digital world that I kind of exist in now, totally, totally different. Um, but I have such a deep appreciation for those years and what I learned and what it taught me. Um, and what, what nurses do and, and how they, they so willingly serve. Um, but I, I started writing while I was a nurse. I was writing, um, a journaling writing has always been a great passion of mine. I did it as a little girl and it's kind of served me all throughout life. It's kind of been like my form of meditation, form of yoga. And I, I, I started just writing about fashion because I, I, I've always loved fashion and styling and it was just a creative outlet. But this was 10 years ago before there's ever anything, you know, any, any term like influencer ever used. And I, you know, naturally this creative outlet um, turned into a full business. And soon Instagram and Pinterest kind of had launched at that same time. And so I started utilizing those platforms. And yeah, what was just a, a creative, creative outlet um, really grew and took off and now is a full lifestyle brand. Um, I have a team of nine here in Nashville. We have three different businesses. Um, we have a skincare brand called Nima, which is um, a, a skincare brand for women. It's pregnancy focused and postpartum. And then we also have a store here in West Nashville called Shop Happily Gray. So it, it's, you know, it, I, what, what I set out as, as just a passion project, you know, turned into, with a lot of hard work, turned into um, a whole new venture. And a lot of what I learned as a nurse, I've taken with me into this, this new chapter. And it's, it's really amazing. It's really fun. We, we, I love getting, I love having the autonomy and, and being an entrepreneur and, um, you know, really pursuing, pursuing my passions and hopefully doing things that impact other people's lives, specifically women and mm -hmm. in, in a really amazing way and makes the journey a little bit easier for them. I, I'm I'm curious, like your your journey as a former nurse, and then going through you know your own stuff and starting to write and um, blog and evolve. Like you speak about your recovery through an eating disorder. I'm curious, was that before you got into nursing, or was that after? So yeah, it was. That was yeah, that's something that started during high school, and. Um, I, I struggled uh, before really like seeking, you know, real professional help for several years. And so this journey, I, I've been on healing and recovery for the last 10 years now. Wow. 
Okay, so you're you're in recovery from disordered eating, but you don't consider mm-hmm. yourself healed. Can you speak to some of the the challenges that you still have to push through? Yeah, yeah. I think this is something that that was a part of the discovery for me. Uh, you know, I started this therapy thinking like, okay, I'm going to do this therapy for X amount of years, and then I'm going to be totally healed and move on with my life. But when, what I learned is that it is a journey, and it's a daily like you daily evolve through it and you have to do the work and you have to have accountability. And so, you know, for me, I, I specifically say that in the book, yes, I'm in recovery, but I do not consider myself recovered and I never will. Like it's, it's something that's a part of me that I will always have to work towards. And, um, and that, that I, that I always, you know, will have to, you know, be mindful of. And so I, I think that's really important because that was one of the big, that was one of the big first lessons I learned in this journey. But, you know, I think, I think for me, accountability was such a, such a big part of it. Um, finding someone you can trust, finding someone that um, can, can be by your side. And, and that's ultimately why I decided to include this in, in my book. I actually wrote the entire book without it. And I turned it into my publisher and I read the book for the first time for joy, not for editing or copywriting or, you know, not with, you know, as an author, but really as, as a reader, I tried to read it as joy. And I, and I saw, and I realized immediately, you know, I was so overcome with this conviction of this story has to be a part of it. I saw this 23 year old version of myself looking at me kind of, you know, staring straight straight in my eyes saying this has to be a part of it because it was the other women around me at that time that, you know, held up their hand and said, Hey, I've been there too. And you're not alone here. And that was, you know, the, the, you know, that what gave me, even though it's, it's, I think it's difficult to step into that vulnerability of, of sharing our struggles that ultimately gave me the courage to do it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the work in, in this sort of therapy is around shame. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've learned is shame can't survive in the light and, and sharing about our journey allows that light to come in. And so by sharing my experience and, and, and including the story in my book, I'm, I'm hoping that it encourages others to have the strength to do the same mm-hmm. because it is really hard. It is really hard. So for me, a big part of this was one getting honest and getting some accountability around it. And it doesn't take, doesn't mean you have to go shout it to the world. I mean, for, for um, almost a decade, I had probably a handful of people in my life that knew it, but that was enough for me to have a support system and accountability to support me to get through it. Mm-hmm. Dr. Brene Brown says shame, shame loves secrecy. Right. Um, so I love that, you know, you, you read your book and you realized, you know what, there's, there's a part here that um, needs to be told that vulnerability, that transparency that could help another, you know, not feel that, that same shame. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote this to one of my good friends who I was, I went back after and was telling her like, I've got to include this. She's actually my um, co-writer who was alongside me the, every step of, of creating this book and writing this book. And I, I told her, I said, the one thing I can't do is not talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that I just kept saying that to myself, you know, and, and seeing that 23, 23 year old version of myself. So I'm, I'm so thankful that, cause to me, this is now 
one of, if not the most important books in the chapter. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that other women feel seen. I hope they feel understood. And I ultimately just, you know, hope that they don't feel alone in this journey, in this battle. Yeah. Like there's, there's a part in the book where you talk about red flags um, and you say, my gut yes. is, a, my gut is great at waving the red flag, but my brain isn't always good at waving the white one. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, like my intellect is always wrestling with the, with that, you know, like I feel like my gut says one thing and then, you know, your brain always is like, well, uh, you know, what about this? What about this? Take this into consideration. Mm-hmm. And I actually journal about these like gut instincts, red flags a lot. Journaling I mentioned is, is such a big part of my kind of meditation. And yeah, I, I, I list them out in my book because I, I, I do reference them a lot in, 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 in professional situations and personal situations. I come back to this and some of those, you know, some of those red flags are sleep is down. Mm-hmm. Sleep is such a, a big part of, of keeping me balanced and centered and something I haven't always prioritized and it sounds simple, but it is, is hugely important. I feel sick. I feel jumpy. The page is blank. That's one thing I get a lot when I know something's not right is that creator's block happens and I really don't have the bandwidth to push on. And so uh, another one is screen time is up too. These are kind of all of these when I reflect, I'm kind of reflecting on the situation as a whole, I can almost always go through and say, yep, that's happening. That's happening. This is also happening. And those are kind of my, my cues of, of knowing that, Hey, you need to trust your gut here. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. I think, you know, we're, we're given our intuition for a reason, but I feel like as women, we often ignore the inner voice telling us what is right. You know, our, our true selves telling us what we need. Um, we've been conditioned to ignore it because we've been conditioned to put everyone else first. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, Staying connected, like with what you're saying, staying connected is really hard. And and for me, I talk about this in my book. I don't always know what it looks like to be in tune, but but I do know what it feels like when I'm not. Mm-hmm. And it's a journey, and that's like that that that's just a part of the work you have to do to you know really stay in tune with yourself. And and for me, that comes back to that inner child work mm-hmm. of really staying connected and centered. Speaking of of centered, (laughs) there's um, a part in the book where uh, you talk about, you know, like your belief that fishing is basically yoga (laughs) for the rugged outdoorsmen. Can you explain that to our listeners? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the first chapter is all about my childhood. And one of the most sacred, you know, times in my childhood and still in my life today, because I still go fishing a lot is being out on the lake or the pond and fishing. And it really is my, it's like my yoga because it, the stillness, the peacefulness, the, the curiosity of, you know, where's, where, where's the fish and also the strategy, like it, it hits everything for me, but it, but, but mostly it's this stillness and peacefulness that, and it listens and there's just nothing like it for me. And, uh, you know, that's something that's such a fond childhood memory in my, in my mind. And every single time I'm home, some, my home is East Texas and my parents still live in the same house that they lived in when I was little. And every single time I'm home, 
I go back and my dad and I get out on the lake and we fish and it really is. I, I always encourage, even if you're totally a city girl and you've never done it, it's so peaceful and so beautiful. But then there's also this like fun, spontaneity, curious, curious side of it too, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Speaking of grounding, I would love to know how your relationship with God has grounded you because you, you say in the book, you know, you went to church every Sunday looking for God, but found him just as easily in the still waters of Cato Lake and in my dad's singing voice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that that was a part of my journey with, with religion and, and, you know, the discovery of at times, I think, religion was presented as you have to be this, you have to be that, and we have to go to church here. And there's so much structure around it. And, you know, a lot of that I am thankful for, but I think my journey as I, as I got older and and saw different perspectives, I, I learned that you can experience it anywhere and you can find that beauty in so many things. And I talk about in chapter one, this story of, I saw this beautiful white lily underwater when I was fishing with my, my dad at Caddo Lake. And I, as, as a 34 year old now, I remember that picture so vividly in my head as, as I was 12 years ago, 12 years old in that, in that moment. And it struck me as a kid that that beauty is all around us. It's all around us. And and I think at that time in my life, I kind of associated God and, and all that, that world as being reserved for church. And in that moment, I connected the dots of it, God is all around us and, mm-hmm. and his creation is beautiful. And I need to open my eyes a little wider. And one, one quote that I, I wrote down and that I, I constantly remind myself of is um, keep your eyes wide open. There's so mm-hmm. much more than what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, that was so true. There, there's something that really connected for me in, in realizing that it, it, it doesn't, have to, doesn't have to be in a church singing in a pew, holding the hymnal. It's, it's all around us. And the beauty of the, cre- of the creation he's, he's made is, is everywhere we look. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So describe what a typical Sunday looks like for you. Now? Present day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, life is crazy. So I have an 18 month old. I have a three year old and then I'm also five months pregnant. Wow. And we have two great days. So life is just nuts. Um, every Sunday, I feel like the weekends are kind of, we're in this, we're in this period. I'm, I've been writing a book um, for the last year and a half and we're getting ready to launch that book. So excited. We've also launched a skincare brand in the last um, year, which has been a huge endeavor and a huge passion of mine. Nima is the name of it. It actually means God's gift, um, which is a really cool. This is a side note, but my daughter used to call me Nima before she could pronounce mama. She would call me Nima. And we like, I randomly Googled it one night and it means God's gift, which was a very chills moment. Um, when we decided that was going to be the name of our skincare brand. But anyway, all that to say, life is really full and really busy. And so our goal on Saturdays and Sundays right now is our, our, our family and our kids and connecting and resting. And we, we hardly ever will 
we'll plan anything on a Saturday or Sunday if we can keep from it and really just try to like catch up and, and be with our kids because right now life has been so busy and, um, and being present with them and just resting, you know, and kind of recovering from the week. And sometimes that's going out for hikes at one of our favorite um, places in Nashville, Radnor Lake. Sometimes that's cooking a two hour breakfast together. <laughs> sometimes that's a movie in the afternoon or um, I love to run. I love to cycle on our Peloton. So a lot of just kind of self-care and connecting with our family and our kids on, on Saturdays and Sundays. I, I love that. And I love that you've dedicated that time for family and love and connection and resting. Um, I think, you know, sometimes when people think of self-care, especially because it's become this buzzword, they don't realize the absolute importance of it. So I would love to know, like, what does your self-care routine look like? So motherhood has taught me how to take care of myself, which which kind of sounds backwards. <laughs> like you're taking care of other people. Um, but I, I've always really not, I've just never set aside the time for it. But when I became a mother three years ago, I realized you can't give what you don't have. And and in the moments where I was falling apart because I thought I had to do it all and be all, you know, for, for her, I realized that if I'm not taking care of myself, if I'm not um, doing the little things that fill me up, I won't have anything to give and I won't be able to teach her how to love. And, and, and to me, I think that's I, one of two of the most important jobs that I'm teaching my kids, one, how to love and, um, and then and, and keeping them safe. I kind of always go back to those two things as, as two of my important jobs. And so, yeah, that motherhood is what really taught me to start taking care of myself. And so for self-care, for me, um, it kind of it kind of evolves and changes depending on where life is. But journaling is a huge practice of self-care for me because it's a, it's how I meditate. It's how I connect to myself. It's where I get work through things that I'm struggling with and I get and I gain a lot of clarity. Um, I also love just taking baths in the evening, just a simple 20 minute bath in a hot tub uninterrupted is really amazing. And I usually have my book in there and um, prior to pregnancy, I'd have a glass of wine. Um, but yeah, that's, those are kind of the little moments of, of connecting for me journaling and, and, and some tough time. And um, that's just never been more important since mm-hmm. I've become a mother. And journaling can be, such a healing exercise. You know, it's it's a, a place where we can write out our thoughts and feelings without judgment. We can, you know, release uh, some of that negative energy or to just get out what's in our heads to help us find um, clarity. So I know you have some prompts in the book. Did you want to share those with the, the listeners? For sure. Yes, absolutely. I So I've been journaling a mission since I was a little girl. And journaling has always been kind of what you're saying. It's been very therapeutic. Um, it's like its own source of therapy. Um, but I will say journaling also can be really hard and awkward and difficult. <laughs> like sometimes you just feel like you don't know where to start. And that's why I included these prompts in my book. Because even though I've been journaling for over... 15 years, I still will sit down and and kind of feel blank and, and not know 
what to write about or where to start. And these, so these prompts really do help me kind of find my way and prompt me into like, okay, here's a, here's a good place to start. And almost always I end up getting to the real source of whatever it is that I needed to, 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 to write about that day or to, to work through. Um, some of those questions, I think there's about 10 of them in the book, but some of them are, um, who can you forgive today? Which is always, that always gets me into a lot of deep thoughts. Um, Cause there's almost always someone in my heart that I'm, that I can forgive. Whom do you love today? Um, how did you take care of yourself today? What are you thankful for today? Um, those are a few that I can remember off the top of my head. But there's, there's, there's about 10 of them in there. And yeah, like I said, journaling can be an odd practice. It's so honest. It's just you and your words. And so it's, it, it's, it's a, they're great to reference to kind of kickstart you. And the other thing too, I'll say is, you know, don't put too much pressure around it. Mm-hmm. I journal, you know, I mean, life comes in waves, right? Like the, the busyness and, and where we are. And so I've committed to three times a week and it can be as little as 10 minutes or as long as it needs to be. You know, that's, that's doable for my life. It feels attainable, but so you just all, you whoever, you know, you just each have to set your own measures with that and then stick with them. The consistency is really where you see it become effective in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, when you build that, that habit, right. Our, our habits, like our results are in the routine. It's in the things that we do every exactly. day, the small little things. You know, I always remind myself, I, I'm it, by nature, I'm such an intense person. Like I decided last year I was going to run the New York Marathon. And I ran, I ran the New York Marathon. I trained, I trained, and I finished. I was so proud of myself. And I didn't run for four months after that. Wow. That's the perfect example of now reflecting back on that. That's the perfect example of my intensity. But I, but what I'm striving for in my life is consistency, mm-hmm. getting con- consistency over intensity. It's actually, you mentioned Brene Brown earlier. That's one of the many things I've learned from her that I hold close. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of the, how do I say this? A lot of the things that we've accomplished in life or how we are, um, you know, stems from our our habits, the things that we do consistently. Um, You know, sometimes we can have those, those bursts or those, uh, what do you call it? Um, What's the word I'm looking for? When you can like amplify your uh, results through the intensity, right? Yes. Um, That momentum. But like the long-term effects are through the the small things, the consistency of those small things. Right. Exactly. No, truly. It's, and I think that's just continual work. It doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you have to be mindful of. And and it's, it's something that kind of over time you get better and better at one of the other, one of the other quotes that I just, or one of the other questions, journal prompts that I just remembered that I love is what made you laugh today? And that one always brings some lightheartedness. I think a lot of times people think journaling is like, you know, heavy and you have to kind of mentally be prepared for it. But there's also a lightheartedness too about it of that I that I've like retrospectively when I've read old journals and gone back to them. And I did a lot of that when I was writing this book. 
that made me laugh and made me giggle and like laughing belly laugh like there's nothing that's better for the soul than that and I love that question um so much yeah I I, I love that too um and sometimes depending on you know how life is some people have a hard time uh, remembering that they did laugh today you know we're, we're so focused on you know the what's not going right that we forget to you know look at the beauty in the day whether it be you know the one joke someone told us or the one you know something maybe it's even laughing at ourselves um right yeah yeah so you, true. Also, you, you spoke to having you know a three-year-old 18-month-old and now being mm-hmm. And you've also mentioned um, how motherhood has forced you to, I guess, take a look at yourself as you're caring for other people. I would love to know how else has motherhood changed you? Well, I mean, just off the top of my head, it's made me the best multitasker. (laughs) That's for sure. Being able to do a a lot at once. Um, I would say the biggest the biggest um, way motherhood has changed me or one of the biggest has been just just being present the the reminder to stay present and I actually so I've got B period actually tattooed on my wrist because I'm so terrible at it that I had to tattoo it on my skin but I think motherhood has called me to stop living with the regrets in the past and stop planning and planning and planning for the future and just being present in the moment of what's happening here and now in front of you because it's so fleeting. And that's what I, I learned quickly with my first is how fast the, the each phase and age goes and how temporary it is. And so really soaking it all up, the good and the bad and enjoying it and, and staying present in that moment which is really hard. It's another one of those things that you have to do continuous work around to be able to, to, to stay present, but you just don't want to miss a moment. And I think when we realize we have, it's that's, that's the wake up call to just stay as present. And that's why I go back to, because we work so much during the week, my Saturday and Sundays are so reserved for my kids. And in those moments, you know, we, we try to like be less present on our phones. We actually have like time where our phones are not on us so that we can. I mean, there's just so many distractions in our world today that you really have to put those, those boundaries around it and you have to safeguard your time in order to stay present. And I, I really um, try to do that uh, around motherhood more than anything. I, I love the focus on the present and to be in the moment. And I even love that you have um, be <laughs> tattooed on you. I do. <laughs> I have. Um, I had to. <laughs> I, I totally get it. And I have. Um, so my sister who passed away actually in, in 2012, when you started uh, journaling, um, oh. her thing was live life, love, laugh. So I have that tattooed on my wrist as my oh, reminder. Beautiful. Um, I love so, that. Thank you. But us having those reminders to be present, us have like, I think it's, I think it's a good thing um, because in order for us to focus on anything, you know, that, that accountability, that consistency, it's like that constant affirmation that we've given ourselves. For me, I think a lot of it has been 
that learning how to safeguard and learning just how to set boundaries. Because if you do, if you say yes to something, you're saying no to another thing. And I always remind myself of that every time, because I'm such a people pleaser and I want, I want everyone to have a good time and, and be happy. And so, but every time I do say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. And, you know, I think that's, it's just, it's, we just need to be really intentional about our time and how we want to spend it and in, in, in order to do that, to, to, to stay present in those, those really important moments, those people that mean the most to us. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned that. Like when you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else and it's prioritizing what is most important to you. And I'm, you know, a recovering people pleaser myself and it's been <laughs> extremely hard <laughs> learning over the last few years to say no, but then I have to ask myself, okay, well, if I'm saying yes to doing this, what am I saying no to? You know, if I take on this, I don't know, stressful client, then I'm saying no to my piece. If I say yes to the speaking engagement, then I'm saying no. Like it just, it's about what's a priority um, to us. So I think it's great that you, you mentioned that. I that I connected some, to something with that you just said um, in my book. I, I talk about perfectionism, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the quotes is um, "Let's get average." Mm-hmm. And I always tell myself that, and it always like makes me laugh because it's it's a good reminder for my, myself that it does not all always have to be perfect. In fact, that's where the true beauty lies. That's where the true growth lies. Is when we release that control control and we just be ourselves, you know, and I've found so much reward in just letting go of that. And that's another thing motherhood has taught me is just be, be who you are because there's nothing more, there's nothing, you know, more beautiful than owning that and, and, and teaching your kids in that light. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, you know, I, a few years ago, I just had this aha moment that I was like, perfection is actually toxic for me because it forces me to procrastinate. You know, you have this analysis paralysis and you yes. don't get anything done because you're so focused on trying to make it perfect. And I think when I started the podcast four years ago, part of me coming out of that that whole paradigm of perfection was on like done is better than nothing. So you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing with the podcast at the time. Four years later, it you know, ranked in the top 1.5% globally. But I didn't know anything about what I was doing when I started. If I had waited for it to be perfect, I never would have started. I, I experienced that with a job that is, is so involved in social media constantly, constantly of, of, of the re-edit and retake and trying to get it perfect. But, you know, I will say what I connect with the most when I'm watching other people or listening to other people, it's, it's the, the kind of the mess ups, the, the oh no's or the imperfections of, you know, the way they talk or move or whatever it is, it makes them human. You know, it, it just makes them real. And I, I, yes, I talk about skydiving for perfectionists in my book. And there's this list of, of like little small things that you can do to kind of start your journey in this. And one of them is covering up your mirror. Mm. And I, t- I mean, I love fashion. So this one actually is really hard for me because I, I do want to see my looks, but you know, you can't, it, it kind of, it, it, refocuses you know your values of of how you're starting your day um and and where where your where your focus is and so that one's 
fun and, and tough to do. But another one we do in our house is cooking without a recipe, mm-hmm. which doesn't always turn out the best. And that's also a part <laughs> of the journey. But my husband will, you know, is he, he does it more than I do. He cooks without a recipe. And it's just, you know, doing something outside the book that does not, it does not have to be perfectly this amount, that amount, this process, this way, you know, yeah. it's, you're creating your own and there's, there's beauty within that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I grew up in Caribbean background. I'm first generation Canadian and nothing was ever done with the recipe book. I would be in the kitchen with my grandmother and be like, okay, how much of this grandma? And she's like, I don't know, just, you know, put some, <laughs> just put some and you taste it. So that's how I've learned to cook. And I've, like now, if my kids are asking me, well, mom, how much do I put? My son gets frustrated because I'm like, just put some, taste it, and you can always <laughs> add more later. Like you can't take it out. So just put a little bit at a time. And he wants to know exactly how much. And I'm like, there is no exact amount. This is life. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> you know, isn't that funny? So I, my mo- my mother cooked that, cooks that way too. I'll ask her for a recipe and she's like, well, you know, it's just a little bit of this and then, and then I'll, I'll add a little bit of that. And then mm-hmm. don't forget to, and I'm like, I'm over here with my kid trying to write it all down. And <laughs> she's always just cooked that way, which is really admirable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it, it's part of letting go part of mm-hmm. um, allowing things to happen as they, you know, should, there's no perfect uh, recipe. And, and sometimes I've had, you know, if I've used someone else's recipe for banana bread and it doesn't come out the exact same every single time. And I feel like I have to add a little bit more of this here, a little bit more of this there. Like, so I think life in general, we have this idea of perfection and, you know, it being our way to success, but failing my way to success has probably been exactly. the biggest lessons that, that I've learned. Exactly. So much opportunity for growth and learning. We've talked about, you know, your eating disorder. We've talked about motherhood. We've talked about just healing in general. What advice would you give to a woman that is listening right now that's trying to rush her healing journey? Well, I was guilty of this too. And this is something else I talk about in my book. I started, I started therapy asking my therapist, Hey, how am I doing? How's my progress? Am I, am I where you want me to be? Am, am I, is, is this where I'm supposed to be with this many meetings in? And multiple times she looked at me like, that's not how this works. That this is your journey, Mary. This is your journey and your progression. And this is not linear. And when she said, this is not linear, that was, well, one that was really hard for me to accept because the controlling person that I am, I want, I want it to be linear. Mm-hmm. I, I want it to, um, I want to know my trajectory, you know, mm-hmm. but it was that realizing that was, was hugely important for the foundation of my, my, um, journey in, in, in recovery and, and all the work that I've done. Um, because it's, it, I think that's a huge step because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go up, 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 and then you're going to kind of dip down and then it's going to level off and plateau. And that's why it's called a journey. It's not, it's not fully linear. And I think that was a huge discovery for me. And that gave me a lot of perspective and that took a lot of pressure off of my shoulders and knowing that, um, it doesn't have to look a certain way. I'm not compare. I'm not comparing myself to anyone here. It's, it's, it's my, my own, my own, um, 
um, road to recovery. So that would be my advice is to accept that this is a nonlinear path and to embrace, you know, whatever, whatever your soul and heart and body needs. Yeah. You you know, you, you mentioned, you know, that it it took a lot of uh, pressure off your shoulders. I would love to know what is something that you forgive yourself for? Oh, and I love that. I love that. Probably forgive myself for setting unrealistic expectations Mm. in the first place. You know, like, and that that applies to a lot of different situations in life, not just just the journey of, of, of my recovery work, but just forgiving myself. I talked about that in, um, when I was having my first child, I went through an emergency section and, and my, what I thought was supposed to be this natural birth, um, ended up being an emergency section. And I, and I had to kind of grief, go through the grief of, of realizing that didn't, that didn't happen, but then ultimately got to a place of, I was forgiving myself for setting unrealistic expectations of stuff that I couldn't even control, Mm-hmm. you know, in, in the first place. So, and that happens a lot. That happens a lot. And I have to go back and say like, wait, you know, this, this wasn't, this wasn't realistic. And why did I set these expectations um, for myself around this? Mm-hmm. That's big. Wow. So, okay. Before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell the listeners where they can stay connected with you and learn more from you and about you. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. Um, My Instagram is Mary Lawless Lee. And through there is is kind of where I I have all my updates, but then also happilygray.com is where you can go and pre-order the book. The book launches on November 15th. And um, we're going into a full book tour. We have seven cities, Chicago, Atlanta, LA, New York, and Nashville that will be out. So if you're in any of those cities, we'd love to see you. And, and all of that information is on happilygray.com. Awesome. So I will definitely have all the links for them to connect with you directly in the detailed section of the episode. So they don't have to search too far. Thank you. No problem. So for the final segment of the show, it's kind of like a rapid fire, I ask you a couple of quick questions and you share your rapid wisdom to help the women listening so they can honor, elevate and love herself. Okay. Awesome. I love a rapid fire. All right. So let's go. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. The Bible. Awesome. Uh, What's the greatest gift you've ever given yourself? Hmm. 10 hours of sleep. Mm. (laughs) Love that. Uh, When was the last time you cried? Three days ago. Okay. When was the last time you apologized to someone else? This morning to my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What failure has taught you the most about life? My journey through eating disorder recovery. Mm. And, and, you know, I don't know if I'd even call that necessarily a failure, but a struggle. I've learned more about myself Mm -hmm. and the others around me than, than anything else. Absolutely. And last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? Be unapologetically themselves. Mm. Don't, don't say sorry for who you are. You're beautiful and, and just really embody that. 
I love that. Oh, I love that. Well, that's been the, the theme all week. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of interviews that I've done, you know, being unapologetically yourself has been the response to that question. I also um, became a board member for a new magazine that just launched this week called Defy Magazine. And it's about being unapologetically yourself as a woman. Um, so I'm loving love the theme of being unapologetic. <laughs> so good. So much strength in that. Speaking of being unapologetic, before we end the show, is Lawless your real middle name? No, so that's my maiden name. Okay, and I, I just I've always connected and loved it so much. I just made it. Um, I, I switched my when I got married. That became my middle name. Love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd middle name, I know. <laughs> it's like typical. on board with the theme of being unapologetic. <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, I've never thought of it in that way, but I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary, for sharing your stories and your gems with us. Thank you for sharing all of your healing tools. I truly, truly appreciate the energy. Um, that you have shared with us today. And I know as a mom with small children, it's not easy to get free time. So I appreciate your time more than you know. No, I, I equally feel that so much as well. And I'm, I'm so thankful to be here today with you. And I've been inspired by this conversation and going to take this energy out, out with me into the world for the rest of the day. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to all of you healers out there, go out and grab Happily Gray, Mary Lawlessly. So this episode will be launched the week that your book comes out. So it'll be available so they can go grab it right now. And also we would love to hear, you know, what resonated with you within this episode? What was your aha moment? You know, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, you can screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us. You can tag Mary at Mary Lawless Lee. You can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her. <laughs>